What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Before I even get into the introduction of today's amazing guest, Kyle Ruth, I want to bring a quick announcement, guys, a very important announcement, a very special announcement, a very exciting announcement. The Performance Nutrition Manual has dropped. It dropped yesterday. The ebook is now live and ready for you to download. So if you are somebody who is, this is actually a perfect time to announce this podcast uh, or this ebook because the podcast is with a performance coach specifically. But the Performance Nutrition Manual is really for anybody who wants to improve their performance and recovery, period. Now, it is very, very specific and very, very helpful. It's actually I would say it's crucial or literally a necessity for anybody who is competing in any athletic endeavor, whether you are a competitive CrossFitter, whether you are a powerlifter, whether you are in soccer or football or basketball or any type of sport specifically, you need this manual because nutrition plays such a vital role in performance, in recovery, and reaching your maximal potential with your competitive fitness endeavor. So if you are an athlete, this is a necessity. You need this book. But if you're a recreational athlete, if you are just somebody who likes to train at the gym, in their garage, for bodybuilding, for CrossFit, for sports, for pickup basketball, for anybody that really just wants to maximize their potential, who wants to maximize their performance in recovery, to just make sure that they're hitting more PRs and getting the most out of their body because the human body is meant to perform at a high level. This book is for you. It's going to teach you everything you need to know from your micros to your macros to meal timing to periodization of your nutrition, hydration, sodium, supplements. We put so much effort into it. Coach Caroline killed it, and this is her niche because she is in the CrossFit space heavily. This is a great book, and I really do think that everybody who picks this up is going to love it. It is 50% off for this week only because we just launched it. So at the end of this week, the price will double. You guys can grab that link to download it in the show notes below. Once again, it is 50% off this week only. Real quick second announcement before we get into the show, and this one will be even quicker. I just want to apologize in advance. There was a couple times during the podcast where I was asking Kyle questions, and my voice was very staticky. Not sure what it was, whether it's the mic, the computer, the Wi-Fi. It's never happened before, and I do apologize, guys. It's only a couple questions. You'll hear it. It's nothing too over the top, but I just wanted to apologize that my voice wasn't crystal clear like it usually is. Before we get into the show, make sure if you like this content, if you enjoy my podcast, if you enjoy Kyle Ruth's content, and you want to hear more of this stuff, take a screenshot of this right now. Post it on your Instagram story. Tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom. Tag Kyle at Kyle Ruth underscore TTT for training think take. Um, let us know that you like the show. Tag us so we can see who's listening. We appreciate you guys so much, and this is what allows us to grow the show so more people can hear this information, learn, self-educate, and get better results. Now, let me introduce this badass guest. Kyle Ruth is a coach at Training Think Tank, which is one of the most well-known and I would say knowledgeable CrossFit facilities coaching athletes in the CrossFit space. In fact, I just had Noah Olson, the CrossFit Games athlete, on the podcast. He trained at Training Think Tank for a long time, and I think he still does a little training there. Um, Training Think Tank is a very well-known and a very knowledgeable resource for education, coaching, programs, team events, so on and so forth. Kyle Ruth is one of the head coaches there, and the dude is just so smart. I mean, we touch a lot on specifically uh, program designed for athletes because he does a lot of sports performance stuff in and outside of CrossFit, 
that's kind of what he majored in. That's what his specialty is. And we went really deep. I mean, the guy gave so much information around training athletes and how to program those things. But we did touch on fat loss. We touched on hypertrophy. We touched a little bit on nutrition. We touched on everything you could think of recovery. Uh, but we really got into the art of coaching. And I think that's the best takeaway from this podcast. And what I enjoyed most about this podcast was that we spent a good amount of time unexpectedly talking about the art of coaching, what it means to be a great coach, and how to become a great coach. And actually a lot of methods, strategies, and philosophies that him and I share, as well as the people that we've looked up to and mentored under share um, that makes us great coaches and I think people who are either a a coach themselves or b looking for a coach need to listen to this podcast take everything in take notes and understand what the art of coaching really is so before I keep ranting on about how great this episode is I guess I should probably let you guys listen to it so without any further ado I give you Kyle Ruth from Training Think Tank all right, Kyle Ruth, man, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I've heard a ton about you, like we were just talking about. We don't know each other very much, so I'm excited to actually get to know who you are because I've only heard a lot about you. And I've actually, as I started digging into you, I noticed you work with people who I know. So I've seen people training, and I didn't know they were working with you, and now I know they were working with you, which is really cool. So um, first and foremost, why don't you just kind of tell the listeners who you are? Like, give us your story in a nutshell. Like, who is Kyle Ruth? Yeah, so uh, to kind of give you a background, I – from, from like an athletic coaching training perspective, I was a, a swimmer. I swam high school, I swam in college, I swam a little bit post-grad, uh, but I was, I, I tended to be a more athletic swimmer. When you have like a picture of someone who's an athlete or a swimmer in your mind, you don't tend to think of them as like having a 38 or 39 inch vertical jump, right? right. I was just an, a, an odd outlier swimmer, but I loved swimming. I loved the, the grind and the black line and that all the time. Uh, but you know, I, I, uh, I was really into the strength and conditioning aspects of the sport. I thought there was a lot to be gained from training on land to take that into the water. And I got into strength and conditioning. I was like, Hey, you know what? I think I like this more, uh, than swimming. And so I kind of started going down that route and you now I ended up getting a master's in exercise physiology. I was kind of focused at the time on coaching, swimming, coaching, dry land strength and conditioning and then i found crossfit and just fell in love with it my wife and i opened a gym uh we ran that gym for four years at that time i started working with training think tank had an opportunity to get uh, my hands on with some really impressive athletes and just kind of surround myself with uh really impressive athletes and high level coaches through training think tank and it has been a whirlwind journey now to having coached a handful of CrossFit Games athletes, team athletes. I had an opportunity to work with some Olympic swimmers back in in 2012. So I've kind of been all over the place, uh, but it's it's definitely been – I I can definitely say that I have learned a ton, but I still realize that I don't know very much. (laughs) So what – I mean, you said you got the CrossFit bug, obviously. I'm curious because you have such a uh, high education background, like going to school for that long, studying that at such a high level, and then jumping into CrossFit. And the reason I'm curious about it is because I know when I first heard of CrossFit, I had a bad taste in my mouth because I saw people getting injured. The modalities being all mixed together didn't make sense to me at the time because I was very like, you have one goal and one goal only, and that's what we program for. And um, it took me a while to open up to CrossFit. And it actually wasn't until I jumped in and did some CrossFit that I had a lot of fun and I realized it was cool. And from a science perspective, a lot of people like yourself and training Think Tank and uh, Ben, 
Bergeron, I think is how you pronounce his name, started kind of coming out and you see the science side being implemented into it. Um, what was your first take on CrossFit when you first got into it? Was it like a quick hook or did you have a sour taste too? So interestingly, I was actually introduced to CrossFit uh, in a class. We had a, uh, it was a graduate strength and conditioning class. And one of the guys in the class gave a presentation on CrossFit. And in some of the videos, this, we're talking, I think this was 2009. So in some of the videos, I remember watching people do power cleans and I was like, oh my Lord, they're, they're going to hurt themselves. But, but he laid out the definition of fitness that Greg Glassman had come up with. And I was like, broad time modal domain, right? I was like, oh my God, that's my definition of fitness. This is the first time I've ever seen it actually put into words. Like that's such a eloquent way to put fitness when before, like you said, fitness was so narrowly defined as I, so as an example, I was a swimmer. I could swim, you know, 50 yards in 20 seconds. I could swim a hundred yards in 44 seconds. I could back squat close to 450 and, and bench around 350. But was I like, I couldn't run. I couldn't do the first time I tried to do Fran, it took me over 10 minutes. Right. So it's like, here I was thinking that I was really fit. And then I did a CrossFit workout and I was like, oh my God, this is an entire like whole new realm of fitness that I didn't even know existed prior to this. And so with the first time I heard about it, that was exactly it. It was like, man, this looks like these people are going to hurt themselves, but I love this definition. And then as I started to get into it and the sport evolved and CrossFit itself evolved and people started to, you know, people from the weightlifting community started to put, have more input in like technical components and things like that. Then you started to see, you know, guys that are cleaning 400 pounds and clean and jerking 400 and snatching 300. It's like, okay, now these are legit athletes doing legit things with legit technique. And I, I mean, I think anyone who's involved in the sport now has seen people do things simultaneously that you'd never expect anyone to be able to do. Yeah, it's super impressive. And that's why I love it so much now is I just, I'm so fascinated with the top athletes. And from somebody who is more in the general population field compared to like the sports performance field, when I started really enjoying CrossFit as a sport or just a modality period it was when i realized it was getting people under the barbell and beforehand everybody was in gyms doing machines and treadmills and ellipticals and then this crossfit thing came out and all of a sudden all these women and parents and everybody's grabbing barbells and going to functional fitness classes and i was like okay this is cool because they're creating a movement they're creating a culture and really i think that's what matters most and it sounds like and you would actually have a better opinion on this because I'm not in CrossFit like that, but the shifts they're kind of making within CrossFit, I feel like they're starting to kind of double down on that and get more involved with general population, and different people rather than just sports. I th yeah, I think that's actually a really good avenue for CrossFit uh, as a training modality to go. I think from a, cert a certification perspective and, and for given what they preach and teach, I think going the route of really focusing on uh, individual health and individual fitness rather than performance per se is, is probably the right route for CrossFit as a brand. Uh, as someone who coaches athletes in the sport, you know, part of me feels like, oh man, but what about all these performance athletes who spend, you know, who train almost six hours a day, you know, they're, they're putting in all this time, but then you realize like the sport's not going anywhere. In fact, it's growing. Even with some of the changes that they've made to the the structure of CrossFit as a sport, like it gives 
some of the younger athletes, I have guys that are 21, 22 that are now qualified for like what would be a regional level event. Now, Wadapalooza, South Africa, strength and depth, like they're, they're qualified for these events and they're going to have multiple opportunities to get exposure at the international level at 21 or 22, where before they only get one of those every year at regionals. So there've been a lot of changes. And, and from one perspective, from like the health and performance or sorry, the health and fitness perspective, I think what CrossFit is doing is good. And I think from a performance perspective, some of the changes have been really positive as well. It's like everyone is winning, which is the way we want it to be. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you see the biggest difference with the people that are not necessarily athletes or general population, but just competitive versus non-competitive CrossFitters that step into training think tank. Cause I believe you guys, you guys don't just train athletes in the sport and competition, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. So just even in my own uh, coaching bank, I've, I've got people that range from, you know, just learning how to squat all the way up to, you know, people that are qualified for these uh, CrossFit games qualifiers now. So I've got a really diverse population that I work with. Um, but, you know, I think uh, that one of the biggest things that I see is that the difference between the people that are competitive and the people that are interested in health and fitness is just the people that are interested in competing tend to organize their lives around training more. Training is their identity. And the people that uh, are just training for fitness, that they just want to stay fit and maybe they want to look a certain way or feel better or improve their health, they don't necessarily organize their lives around their fitness. They tend to organize their lives or have some separate identity and training is just a piece of that. And I think that's a, a big takeaway that I've observed over the last five or six years is that um, if you want to be elite, if you want to be the best of the best, the reality is you make sacrifices, right? You cut out portions of your life and, and relinquish some of your control to other people so that they can handle other aspects of your life so that you can focus solely on training and you become very narrow. And yes, there, there's a price to pay for that in the long run. I think that may be part of the reason that people after they either achieve their athletic goals, they tend to go into like a, you know, sort of depression or, or they have no idea what to do with their lives. And then you, you turn that around and you look at people who are just in, you know, a guy who's a, a chiropractor who likes doing CrossFit and wants to have good training pro, uh, protocols, you know, his life revolves around something completely different than someone who's trying to qualify for the CrossFit games. And when he achieves his goals, you know, his micro goals on the way there, uh, he, I, I think that person feels a lot more uh, satisfaction from what they're doing than some of the people that really do isolate themselves to be successful in sport. But that is required for sport. I think, and I think it's important now I see it more prevalent and people are talking about it more. Like there is no balance. Like balance is kind of bullshit, right? If you are <laughs> that elite of an athlete or you're the CEO of some company, like there's always sacrifices. Your time is not going to be evenly spread. Your present being is not going to be evenly spread. And you have to be okay with that if you're going to chase that endeavor and be hyper successful. But I feel like for so long, people were preaching balance and afraid to say that, you know what, we don't have balance, but now a lot of athletes are coming out and saying exactly what you just said. And it's the reality. Yeah. I think Matt Frazier's interview at the end of uh, the CrossFit games this past year was so telling. The first thing he said is I have to thank my team, right? How many, it, 
first off, that says a lot about the guy's character. Yeah. Uh, that the first thing he did was thank his team. But he said, I have to thank my team because they came in and they took control over every aspect of my life to allow me to focus on one thing, training to be the fittest man on earth. Now, if you're someone who's in their early 20s and you aspire to be the fittest man or fittest woman on earth and you're not doing that, you're probably not going to achieve that goal. But if you're you know, a 33-year-old th- father of two like me, right? You're, if you do that, if you cut components out of your life, most likely you're going to regret that in the long run. I think, so I think it, it's like the idea that balance can exist and balance plus high achievement can exist, I think is bullshit. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, so I'm curious of, we keep talking about these elite athletes that have to sacrifice so much. How do you take somebody from curious curiosity? I'm doing CrossFit. I love CrossFit to that point because you see like people doing strength workouts or wads, or sometimes they do like an extra run. So they have a two a day, but it's nothing too intense. And then you see the competitors, like you said, training six hours a day. And it was really cool because I had Noah on the show and I wanted him to explain that. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize they want to, train look and perform like those people and i'm like you have to be in the gym two to three times a day for most days of the week and i don't think people are ready to do that how do you take somebody from point a to point b without just completely smashing their nervous system in that process well the the first thing is it's a gradual process so like we know basic training principles still apply to crossfit so like you can't just throw out everything that you know all of a sudden because we're mixing running in a barbell like that just doesn't happen right so I think the way that you get people to the point that they can handle six hours of training of training per day is so gradual that they don't even notice the increase in training volume. They don't notice the increase in training hours that they're putting in. And it happens over the course of years and it's so slow and so tightly titrated that they, they don't even notice it and their nervous system doesn't notice it. And their everything adapts their ability to like, this is something that, that we talk about at training think tank is one of the things that adapts to training is your ability to adapt to training. So it's like we train the trainability. And so over time, over the course of like four or five years, someone's resilience to, you know, 30 snatches at 225, just they get to the point that that's not something that makes them particularly tired versus when they first start, you know, that's likely either a one RM or a close to one RM. And that's a full effort. Their nervous system is wrecked for days after something like that. But if you consistently progressively apply the overload to the athlete, multiple domains, and you work into and out of periods of high loading stress and low loading stress, then what you see over time is people just become extremely resilient to physical stresses. But at the same time, you have to narrow their focus outside of the gym right? Those same people in order to add an extra 45 minutes to an hour of training per day, they're going to have to, you know, put that much more effort into recovery modalities and finding areas of their life that they can cut out so they can have time to relax and, uh, you know, take care of their mobility needs and, and do soft tissue work and go see, you know, that part of, you know, one big component of, I, I think of, of creating long-term success is building a team and so they need to have time to go see their physiotherapist to work on their knee when their knee starts to hurt it's like so many aspects of their lives change over the course of four or five years that they don't even they're not even the same person that they were when they started Noah I think is a good example of that 
so you, you had him on the show recently and I don't know how much of this he, he divulged, but he doesn't really have training sessions, right? It's just like every day is just a training is just training from the moment that he walks into the gym till he goes home. It's just training all day long. And people have that are outside of the sport have so, so little concept of that fact, but it wasn't always like that. He started with class wads. Yeah. What, on how big of a scale do you look at that? And in, in, in the sense of periodization, because that's something I wanted to dig in with you and we're going to dig into recovery as well. But, you know, if you look at juggernaut or Westside or any of these powerlifting, you can look at their scale throughout the year. And it's just very clear what the progression is. You see volume and intensity slowly, slowly progress. There's tapers, there's deloads, and it just keeps going. And it's just super obvious. CrossFit is not obvious. It's, there's so many things going on. How do you focus on what you need to progress? Is it like based on weaknesses? Do you focus on specific modalities because that's what these people have to do best in the sport? What are you progressing? Like so on and so forth. Because if you just look at wads all the time, it's very hard to see because, and you know, this classic strength training usually follows the same exact program for four, five, six weeks. And you just slowly add weight or add a rep and you just kind of progress. And then you switch the block after about four to six weeks. CrossFit has almost different stuff every single week. So what stays, what changed? Can you just kind of describe? I know that was like eight questions in one, but I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious about I think, how this I think works. I can wrap it. I, I think I can wrap it all up into, into sort of one answer. And, and the answer is you, you have to take a more athlete centric approach to create long-term success in CrossFit. And what that means is you use the athlete themselves to drive the program rather than using the program to drive the adaptations. So you know, the assessment is probably the most important component of successful coaching of a CrossFitter. You have to be able to identify what aspects of their performance are lacking. Where, where are they weak? What joints are weak? What movements are weak? You know, is, are they, you know, you can't just say, okay, this person is a good runner. So they've got good endurance. It's like, you have to test rowing. You have to test assault bikes. You have to test all these different things. And so what you end up with is a program where certain elements in the program get linearly progressed and linear is probably a poor term, but get, uh, they get periodized in a way that's consistent. So like if you have someone who's a weak back squatter, then likely you're going to go through a, a cycle where back squatting or at least squatting strength is one of the focal points. Now, granted, there are so many different patterns of squatting that get used in CrossFit. Most likely you'll, you know, use a very conjugated system in, in the idea that like, you conjugate the movement by week. So it might be like, you know, week one is back squatting. Week two is front squatting. Week three is overhead squatting. You're rotating through a progression like that. Or if the person's particularly weak, it might just be pure back squat. But while you're uh, narrowly focused on, on improving squatting strength, you're also maintaining certain components of the energy systems and you're maintaining certain components of CrossFit skill and the sport and the, the ability to do kipping chest to bar pull-ups and, you know, muscle ups and handstand walking and like all these things are getting touched constantly. But I typically try to maintain about three focal points that are being developed at any given time. The lowest hanging fruit always gets developed. And so when, when I say athlete centric coaching, what I really mean is that you have to assess the athlete, determine where their strengths and weaknesses lie relative to the sport and address those. And you have to understand that the athlete changes over time, that Someone who, you know, they come to you and you run their assessment three, month, three months from now when you have trained their weaknesses, 
you need to reassess them because most likely you've improved those weaknesses relative to the sport and you have to come up with a new set of lowest hanging fruit. That is your, you know, your focal point. You're going to address that for three months while all the other components of the sport get maintained. And it is, it is definitely a challenging process. Um, the other component of periodization for CrossFit that I think is important is using what I would call a dynamic periodization where rather than having like phases planned out where it's like, okay, this is, uh, an accumulation phase. This is an intensification phase. I tend to use the results from the previous week or block of training to guide the next block of training. So if an athlete, you know, is stagnating on their squatting protocols, then I'm going to make adjustments to the direction of the squatting program versus just saying, all right, last week, you know, they did five by five at 85%. So now we're going to do five by three at 90%. And that's my linear progression. I would look at it and say, all right, they, you know, their body's not compensating well to five by five at 85. So we need to change the stimulus potentially. And so using a much more dynamic periodization model where the, the week or block or day before dictates the next day, I think tends to work better with CrossFitters than having like a very cookie cutter style periodization, which does work very well when you're, when you're training someone for specificity. So how far in advance are you plugging these things in? Because when we talk about a dynamic programming approach, it's, it's almost like you have to adapt it as you go, right? How far can you plan out? Is it every week you're sitting down and you're programming out all your athletes? Or is it like every four weeks you go back to the drawing board and see what the results are? And now I can kind of plug these things in. The way I look at it is it, I, I like to use an analogy. It's kind of like, uh, it, it's kind of like a large construction project where you have an idea of what you want to achieve in the end, but the blueprint is not necessarily defined. And so at any given point, like right now we're, you know, a couple weeks out, we're like a month and a half out from the open. Right. So in general, I know that I need to prepare my athletes for the demands of the open. Right. That's a given. So in that span of time, we have to make sure that we're touching open style workouts that would include doing things like broken intervals of previous years, open workouts, repeating specific tests that they struggled with in the previous years to make sure that we've improved on those workouts and those testers. But, you know, if we have someone doing, uh, you know, if we use one of last year's workouts, like the dumbbell front squat bar facing burpee into the one RM uh, squat clean, right? So if we use that as an example and the athlete was weak on the squat clean and we retest them and they're strong on the squat clean, but they've actually deteriorated on the front squat bar facing burpee test. Well, then obviously that's going to dictate that we need to spend a little bit more time, you know, building their engine or building their, their capacity so that they can improve that part of it and maintain the squat clean component. So it's dynamic in that uh, it's dictated by their performance or by their result. But there is always a general kind of overarching plan, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely does. Do you, 
and I'm going to, so for the listeners, undulation, it, when I'm saying this, I'm thinking of kind of like there's daily undulation and there's weekly undulation in the powerlifting and the bodybuilding community where it's like a weekly right. undulation. I might have a strength hypertrophy and a speed stimulus in one week. Weekly, I might change it every week. Do you factor any of this in? Is it daily undulated periodization in the sense where every week you're working on everything or does each week kind of shift your focus? That would depend on what phase of the year we're in. So in general, I try to touch on most qualities within uh, a training week. And, you know, so you, you talk about weekly undulating periodization. I actually sometimes look at intra-session undulating periodization where within the session, yeah. there are multiple strength components touched because the reality of CrossFit is there are multiple strength components touched in the tests. And so you have to prepare athletes for that. So a good example might be uh, a squatting protocol at this phase of the season, this close to, to the open, might be like three, two, one back squat, build to a heavy single, and then two by 15 at 55% of the heavy single for the day. So touching on multiple biomotor qualities within one training, one training component, and that's just one component of a much bigger training session, right? So that would be uh, you know, kind of a good example of how within a session, you definitely need to touch on multiple training qualities, especially this close to the open. But earlier in the season, you might use a basic undulating, like weekly periodization for their back squat protocols. Or, you know, you, you might even use, you still there? Yeah. I lost you for a second. You might even use uh, like, weight, like traditional weightlifting protocols where you're doing uh, snatch pulls to, to develop uh, pulling strength, that would be early season stuff. But then later on in the season, it might be you're doing a Metcon and then weightlifting, like building to a max, because that's part of the, the demands of the sport. I think that part is so interesting to me because especially like I, I told you before we got on, like I'm very much in the general population or bodybuilding space when I program and do strength work. And a lot of times like we look at like, okay, energy demands and energy fatigue throughout a session. We want to start with some kind of activation, get your body prime. Then we're going to go to a compound because we have the most uh, energy and it's definitely the safest to start with that. Then we're going to move to assess your work. And then we always finish with Metcon, but sometimes in CrossFit, you see these things mixed up. So, and this is where we go back to the beginning of the conversation. When I first see this, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But then you look at the sport and it's like, oh, it makes complete sense. They have to be ready to do that. So how do you distinguish what an athlete needs to do and what a general population should do when they both love CrossFit, but they kind of have different goals, if that makes sense? Well, I think when you're looking at an athlete, one of the things you have to do is like, like you mentioned, take into consideration the demands of the sport. You can't. So we know that lifting after a fatiguing stimulus like a Metcon is probably not optimal for strength gains, but it is optimal if the test that you're going to undertake requires you to lift heavy after a Metcon. Contrast that to someone who's just looking for general fitness or, or they just want to maintain, maintain like general CrossFit uh, capacities, what would make a lot more sense is to develop their weightlifting, develop their, their uh, strength capacities using traditional methods that do create, you know, optimal strength and power gains, and then train their energy systems and the Metcons and that type of stuff afterward. That's, that's kind of how I would, I would look at it. A, a good way to, to look at this is, you know, the workout Murph. For some people, 
for, for the average person, that's probably not a great workout, right? It, for, for the average fitness enthusiast, that's like rhabdo waiting to happen. <laughs> but if you have a, an athlete who's going to be competing at the CrossFit Games, it turns out it's been tested twice. And so if you don't train them with Murph, if you don't prepare them for those demands, then you're actually underpreparing them. And it's probably more dangerous for them to show up at the CrossFit Games having not done that in the first place. And I think that's one of the things that's important to, to understand that the difference between Understanding your athlete. That's probably like if you boil it down is understand the person that you're working with and what the needs, if they're an athlete, what are the needs of the sport? Make sure those are getting addressed. If they're general fitness, what are the optimal methods? Let's use, let's use minimal effective doses to get the most out of them. I think that's what separates places like training think tank, right? It's not everybody's coming in and it's just you're a cognitive machine and everybody goes through the same thing. Everybody's doing the CrossFit Games workouts because not everybody's a CrossFit Games athlete. And I think that's so important. Um, and I also think when you, and you can probably shed light on this, if a skilled, and I believe this is kind of how Matt Frazier was, like a skilled weightlifter comes into the sport, I think it's, it's obviously a priority to focus on conditioning, which is probably an easier thing to build in him than an endurance athlete or a soccer player who has great conditioning comes in and needs to understand how to become a great weightlifter because the skill component is just so high with that. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the sport, the two areas where skill adaptation or skill acquisition take the longest is weightlifting and gymnastics. If someone ha has no gymnastics background or they're, you know, their upper body isn't strong enough to just kind of layer compensations on to be able to do a muscle up. The amount of time that is required to learn how to do muscle ups and handstand walking and develop the tendon and ligament structure to be able to handle high volumes of, of those movements is just, it, it's such an exorbitant amount of time. I mean, it's three, four years process to really excel at those things, not just learn them, but to get to the point where they have capacity in them. And the same is true in weightlifting. It's such a high skilled, uh, you know, heavy strength component that it really does take people years to, to optimize it. I remember thinking <laughs> I was like three years into my, my CrossFit journey and I'm like, yeah, I've mastered weightlifting. You know, I was like a 265 snatch and like maybe a 345 clean and jerk at the time. And I'm like, I've really got this. And then I just took like, one day I just took like a, a 10,000 foot view and I'm like, man, there's people at my same body weight in weightlifting that are you know, a hundred that are lifting a hundred pounds more than I am on both close to a hundred pounds more on both lifts. Like I haven't mastered anything. And, you know, I'm actually at this point now, even a year ago, I'm, I was, I'm weaker than I was then, but my snatch is heavier. Why? Because technically I'm more proficient. And that's one of the things with the Olympic lifts that, that you see is like technique is King up to a point, obviously. And then if, if you can't back squat 300 pounds, you're not going to clean 300 pounds, but right. uh, for the most part, technique is king and, and learning those things and then learning that there's a difference between the technique that you use for a one RM and the technique you use to cycle 80% of your one RM is a whole nother set of skills that you have to learn coming into the sport. And you mentioned, you know, Matt Frazier coming in with a weightlifting background, you know, I would agree that probably one of the things he would need to work on would be building engine building capacity, learning to, you know, learning some of the other components of the sport, but most likely you'd also have to work on barbell cycling because the adaptations to 
cycling 225 pound squat clean and jerks are just different than the adaptations to doing it once every four minutes, which is what, you know, a typical weightlifting program would, would entail. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've touched on recovery, you've touched on uh, making sure your tendons and ligaments, different, different things are safe and, and healing. And I wanted to get into that with you. It's just recovery from a couple, couple perspectives. And the first one is from like the micro level. So during a session, how do you look at your client's programming um, and make sure that I want to say this the right way, make sure that tomorrow and the next day, they're not going to be negatively impacting their performance or their joint health or anything like that. When a CrossFit based program has so many moving parts, you're working so many different moving patterns, so many different energy systems and muscle groups is there's so much going on. Whereas an upper lower bodybuilding split is really easy to manage fatigue because you train lower body today, upper body tomorrow, you rest the next day, you repeat. It's pretty simple. Um, how do you manage that training session to training session? Well, first off, we do come up with splits. And be, one of the beauties of CrossFit is because there are so many different moving components in the sport, it allows you to have so many different styles of training. So, you know, you don't have to have someone lifting a barbell every single day. So you end up with the ability to create some sort of, uh, so, some sort of rest for one component of the body. So like you have weight, a, a good example of, of a CrossFit split, of like a mid-level athlete CrossFit split would be like Monday morning session is weightlifting and strength development. Then their afternoon session might be interval versions of a Metcon, right? And you would make sure that the movements from the morning, so say they were doing uh, snatches, squatting, and clean pulls in the morning, then you make sure that those movements don't conflict with the movements that you create for the Metcon in the evening. Then the next morning, maybe you'll have some gymnastic skill, like, you know, you're going to work on handstand walking, handstand walking ramps, since that's now a big component of the sport, um, into some gymnastics capacity work, whether it's like every minute on the minute, they're doing toes to bar and chest to bar and handstand pushups and developing you know, their gymnastics components in isolation and then finishing that session with like a quick energy system touch up. Like it might be, you know, assault, like repeat desaturation intervals on the assault bike. And then you go into that PM session, that PM session might be a, a movement focused session where they're doing, you know, unilateral hip strength, shoulder, you know, shoulder prehab and rehab work to make sure that they're taking care of their joints and, and things like that. Then your Wednesday morning might be a full-on Metcon tester where they're, you know, they're testing something from regionals the previous year, the Open from the previous year, Wadapalooza qualified, something like that, you know, a, a real tester. And then that afternoon might be uh, like aerobic base support. There's your three-day block. You haven't, uh, you haven't repeated any movements. You haven't repeated any uh, major movement patterns within that. And you've got an athlete who's developing multiple biomotor qualities within a three-day block. I love that. I think it's important for people to listen to that because there's companies that do great work like Invictus or CompTrain that put their programs out there for free, but they're uploaded on a daily basis. So I might log in today as a general person and say, eh, I don't like that one today. I'm going to go do a different one. But the you don't realize, pick. yeah, so you don't realize if you look back two months of their programming, there is a system. You just don't see it because they don't give you a week in advance of like what you're doing unless you hire them, which is what I recommend people do anyway with a coach. But um, I think it's good for people to hear that because now they're not cherry picking and doubling down on different people's programming and overlapping things that aren't supposed to be overlapped. I mean, I, in, in my personal opinion, that is the 
surest way to get an overuse injury, which is, I mean, if you think about as a CrossFit competitor, the most common injuries are overuse injuries, right? They're things that are, that, that come from repetitive, uh, repetitive movements, regardless of someone's movement quality. I mean, if you look at any of Stu McGill's work, if you flex and extend a spine enough times, eventually a disc is going to, something's going to happen to a disc, right? And if you have something happen to a disc, then you're going to be in pain. Most likely, you know, research is kind of out there on that, but yeah. Uh, like those, those are the things that happen to people. And if you just, if you do deadlifts in the Metcon day one, and the next day you're doing touch and go clean and jerks, the next day you're doing, you know, a 30 minute row time trial. Guess what? That's a lot of stress, a lot of flexion extension stress on the discs. So a lot of those things do have to be taken into consideration. And then the other thing that I think really has to be taken into consideration for high level athletes is the bulletproofing work. We call it movement work at training think tank. We have a whole course that's dedicated to, uh, teaching people how to program, implement, and perform, honestly, movement work so that they can help maintain joint health for longer. Because that's honestly one of the most, one of the things that has allowed so many of the athletes in the sport to actually now start tolerating six hours of training volume is that it's not six hours of Metcons. You know, it might be it, from a total training time in the day, it might be an hour of Metcons, an hour of weightlifting, and hour of movement work. You know what I mean? Where in between that, there's a little bit of energy system stuff spaced out here and there. And, and it's not like just a, now granted there are people that are doing that much. I mean, I think Jacob Hepner and the volume, his program, I think is a testament to the fact that some people are just more resilient than others, but I think that comes down to just nervous system fatigue. Like some people can just handle it, but it is important because even for the people not listening to, or that don't participate in CrossFit, it might happen sooner if you're doing something as intense as CrossFit, but it's going to happen regardless if you don't slow down, recover, work on movement. Um, even for myself, like I've never, I did CrossFit for like four months consistently. That's all I did. And it was mainly because I kept yeah. getting questions on the podcast. Like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? And I was like, well, I don't speak on it much because I'm not in it. I know nutrition for it. That's it. So I jumped in it and I loved it. Um, but even from my eight years of strength training, bodybuilding training, everything, but I'm beat up because I didn't do that stuff. And now, like, I, I don't know if you're familiar with active life, but I'm working with Dr. Sean. Yep. He's taking me through a lot of stuff to help me with my knee and some of my shoulder stuff. And that has nothing to do with CrossFit. It's just too long of just not taking care of my body, period. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if, if we want to go down the injury route, I think posture is probably one of the biggest things. Like, just the way you move through the world on a daily basis is probably one of the primary predictors of you know, whether or not you're going to get injured because if you, it, it dictates what joints the stress is being loaded on. And most likely the joints that stress is being loaded on during your daily activity are going to be the same as the joints that get stressed when you're training. You know, I think for, for me, one of my biggest issues is uh, the, the fact that I've got short hamstrings. And as a result, I, I tend to stay in, in more of a posterior, posteriorly uh, pelvic tilt position. And as a result, I have a little bit more lumbar rounding when I pull from the floor. So I have to do things to address that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, or else I have issues that crop up because of, you know, 16 years of competing and pushing my body and, and not doing those things. Now that's part of my daily, uh, that's part of just the daily grind for me yeah. because of what I did when I was younger. And that's actually a big part. So I work with a lot of younger athletes and they're like, man, this stuff is so not sexy. Like it is just not fun to be doing 
McGill curl-ups and trunk yeah. anti-rotation work. And this stuff is just not fun. And I'm like, I know it's not. But when you're 30, you will thank me for it. Or at least there will be a little part of you, you know, a little part in the back of your mind that's like, man, I'm glad Kyle made me do all that trunk, that trunk stiffness work yeah. so that I uh, have a healthy back now that I'm 30. Because it's not fun to be 30 and barely be able to walk. Yeah. And I think it, it can be simple for a lot of people too. Like for me, I, I was lucky enough to, when I started interning when I was 18, I was under a pretty well-known strength coach. So I knew from day one, I mean, I was doing hip extensions and band pull parts every day. And that's why I have a healthy low back and healthy shoulders. I had multiple surgeries on my knee and that's what I ignored. So now I have imbalances. And it's funny because when I hired Dr. Sean, he was like, pay six months in full and just commit. I was like, why? He was like, because it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's going to be boring, but you have to do the work or your knee's never going to get better. And I was like, fuck. All right, dude, yep. I'm in. <laughs> so I just, I did it. And it was like the first couple of weeks, it was absolutely that. It was boring. But for me, it was so enlightening because I went through some motions that I was like, holy shit, my range is so poor. Like I needed this way more than I realized. And if you ignore it, you'll never be aware. And if you're never aware, you can't change it. And all those athletes you're talking about, I'm sure they don't even like if they didn't do it, they would have never known how like big their potential could be. Right. So now that you're giving it to them, they don't really understand unless you took it away and they stopped doing it, which we'd obviously don't want to do. It, it's really eye opening when you have someone in, and you have them do like a McGill curl up. just as an example, I, I personally love that movement for yeah. crossfitters because I think it, it's such a good bulletproofing movement for the spine, but you have them do it and they literally can't hold it for 10 seconds without shaking. And I'm like, you can clean 365 but you literally can't hold your, your shoulders and your head off the ground for 10 seconds without shaking. What do you think is going to happen when that barbell just gets one inch out of position? What do you think is going to happen to you? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where the injuries occur. And so like, it's very eye opening to people or you have them go on their side and just do like a sideline leg lift. And they like, first off have no range of motion, right? No hip abduction at all. And then you're like, all right, I want you to hold that. And they hold it for 10 seconds. Like my hip is cramping up. Like I can't hold this anymore. I'm like, how do you expect to run? You, you know, CrossFit games is going to require you to run miles, not just like one mile, not one mile fast. Like there are miles of running over the course of the, the four days, like, and it's terrain running. How do you expect to be able to handle that with, without, you know, ending up with an injury? Like we need to address these things. And so I tend to use those types of movements as, as part of the screen when people first come on so that they can see just exactly how much uh, capacity they lack from a movement perspective. That it's, gets people to bite the bullet pretty quick. Yeah, and it's something that everybody just needs to do. Um, taking a step back and going back to the um, recovering from session to session, like you explained it very well. And the other thing I'm curious about is just energy systems and then making sure the nervous system doesn't burn out. Are you guys considering like, okay, this day is going to be much more anaerobic or alactic or lactic or anything. And then this day is going to be more oxidative. So we can kind of bring things down. Regardless, your training stress is going to go up. You can't completely avoid it. But do you guys try to balance that the best you can throughout the week to make sure people aren't always needing deloads or just bonking out? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that you can program for a high level athlete without having some sort of variance within the intensity of the stress throughout the week right? I'm sure you've heard of the gray zone, right? Where people get into this, like they, they stress themselves to like 80% every day. They never go really above that. They never really go below it. And then they stagnate and never improve, right? That's like the, the hallmark of, you know, the typical trainee. 
And so one of the things that really, that, that I know I do and we do at Training Think Tank is really try and educate our athletes on like what intensity actually feels like, what types of, when you're working with energy system, you know, energy system athletes, so few people have done a 10 second max calorie or max wattage assault bike sprint, 10 seconds. They're like, this is nothing. Like, I don't feel it. It's like, yeah, but you're only producing 1300 watts. I was like, our powerful athletes are like in, you know, well over 2000 Watts. They're to the point that the bike stops registering the wattage. That's how much more powerful they are. That's intensity, right? That's intensity. And if you want to get to the top of the sport, learning what real intensity is like is important. And then learning how to actually like back off and calm down and recover. So many young CrossFitters that I work with have, they've been so plugged in for so much of their life that they don't really know how to relax. Um, I know you, you had someone on from, uh, that, that was talking about recovery a little while back and they pointed out that the two best recovery methods are sleep and just general relaxation. And it's, that's like, so again, so not sexy, it's not fun, but just putting a, a pair of headphones on after a training session, after something that really stresses the nervous system and going through a 10 minute guided relaxation does more for your recovery than just about any of the, you know, vibration training and any of the other things that people are into at whatever given moment. It does so much more for recovery than that and, and performance the next day. And you have people do it for the first time and they feel so much better. They're like, wow, I felt the impact of that 10 minute guided relaxation session. Yeah, we did I, the, the podcast you're thinking of was uh, RP's Dr. James Hoffman, I think. And yes, that was a good one. I loved it because that was one of my favorite because it, it was so cool because not to shit on masseuses because I love getting massage, but he was explaining like, it's not really them breaking down tissue in your body that's going to cure everything. It's the fact that you're chilling, relaxing, not looking at your phone and your nervous system calms down. And I think it's eye-opening for people because we have people with those like compression air filled ice things on their legs. I can't remember what they're called. You zip your legs in there. The Normatec. The Normatec. They're using the, the gun with the ball on it to do their shoulders and they're not even sleeping seven, eight hours a night. They're not meditating. They're not doing anything to just relax. And I think the reality of recovery truly comes down to shifting from sympathetic to parasympathetic, just letting your cortisol drop and just calming down and just feeling relaxation, like you said. And if people can master that, it's just insane, both for performance, but also body composition. I have so many clients that I implement this stuff because they want to lose weight and they break plateaus. We eat more calories and they manage their cortisol, they manage their stress. All of a sudden they look way better. And it's like, you're just stressed the fuck out. Yeah. I think if I had to I think one of the biggest things that I do is I, I teach athletes the habits that are necessary for them to take the next step. And a big component of that is learning to relax and learning to disconnect. And even, you know, we talked about narrowing focus earlier on in, in our discussion and even learning to have something that, that they identify with outside of, of training so that they can take a fucking day off. Yeah. They can take a real day where they don't go to the gym and they don't do something in the gym, not an active recovery day, not a day when they just go work on their handstands, not a day where they just go swing on the rings, like fucking go outside and do something that will allow them to recover. Yeah. I, I've had that conversation with so many people like, yeah, we can have an active recovery day, but I do not want you stepping foot in the gym because that doesn't mean hitting the treadmill or hitting a quick Metcon or doing even just a ton of mobility because you're in the gym. Then you end up adding a couple things. It's like, 
literally go on a walk with your dog, go skateboard, go do something to just, yeah. if you need to be active, otherwise just chill on the couch and just chill. The only, the only caveat to that I would say is, is that I think for a lot of people, the gym is their social environment because yeah. if they are a high level athlete, most likely they have removed themselves from party atmospheres and, and they've removed a lot of the, the people, people would call them toxic people. I hate that, that term. I think it's fucking, <laughs> I just think yeah. it's really stupid, but uh, they've removed people that detract from their goal, from their lives. So they no longer have uh, a group of people that they hang out with or, or a social support network that's outside of the gym. And I think that may be part of where that comes from. They're like, I want to go see my friends because, and my friends are at the gym. And yeah. if you think, I think tend to think about recovery from like a biopsychosocial model, right? Where we take, we take care of the, the biological components. Like you actually need to rest the body. So the mechanical, so like tissues recover, muscles recover. You need to take care of the, the psychological components and actually like disconnect from your phone, get away from some of the neurotic behaviors that people tend to, to build. And then I think the other one is, is the social component is like, you need to be around people that you like. Like uh, uh, one of the coaches at training think tank, Evan, he came up with this recovery. He calls it his recovery day program. And it's basically like, you need to get out of the gym, walk around outside, get some sun exposure, uh, take a nap, and then have dinner with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend or, or whatever. Like have, have dinner with people that you love, go home, Netflix, and chill. That's a recovery day. Yeah. 100%. There's no training involved. There's no training involved in that, right? But you'll feel a hell of a lot better after that than you would if you uh, went to the gym, did your 20 minutes on the assault bike, did your, you know, your guided breathing and all the stuff, like all the things I was just saying were important for people to do to recover. That's going to be a better recovery program for them. When you know what, like this makes me think of like what I really enjoy about what's CrossFit is bringing awareness from and like what you're telling me right now, you're telling the audience right now is every intensity inside of physical fitness or none is needed for us to improve. And I think in the nineties when bodybuilding was big, it was like slow and controlled movements and then low intensity cardio. That was it. And then it became yep. high intensity and that was everything you needed to do. There's nothing wrong with mixing modalities. There's nothing wrong with doing low, moderate and high intensity and then no intensity and just chilling. Like we need all of those things because all of those things provide a different recovery or a different type of stress. And the only way we adapt is if we stress, right? But if we stress too much, we're just never going to be able to catch up and adapt if that makes sense. But I think it's good because we're bringing awareness to the fact that all of these things are needed in a structured manner versus one thing is this is the one way and being dogmatic in a whole. That, uh, what, what, the way you just put that, not being dogmatic, I think is probably one of the most important things that you can do as a coach, especially if you're coaching something like CrossFit where there are so many components, just not being dismissive of any method because the reality, I shouldn't say every method has some because like, let, let's face it, you, you would never take a brand new trainee and have them do like 500 bench press for time. Like that's just, that's so, so stupid that yeah. no one, no <laughs> one would do that. So I want to, I want to caveat my statement with, all right, don't do anything that's really stupid, but in general, don't dismiss training methods, right? I, I've seen this in, in the PT world where people are like, PRI is idiotic. And other people are like, PRI is, is everything, right? So it's like, no, guys, PRI is a tool that people can use to help restore their posture, among other tools. All of them can have their place. And it's like the same can be said for recovery methods. Like those guns, right, the vibration guns and massage, those things have their place, right? There are, there are people that actually do need that, and that's a good thing for them to use. But there are 
also other tools that can be used that can achieve the same goal. And you can't just use massage for, to, to put a Band-Aid on every situation. So it's like the best thing you can do as a coach is, is build your toolbox as big as you possibly can and recognize that there's value in every tool and every level of intensity that the orange zone is not the best zone for training. And you know what I mean? It's like there's value in all of it. Yeah. It's the same thing with nutrition too. I preach it all the time. Like people ask, like, I want to get on a macro diet. It's like macros aren't a diet. It's a tool because it gives us metrics to measure what you're doing. You know, like we use keto for people who might have an autoimmune related disease or in uh, extreme insulin resistance, right. Or diabetes or things like that. We use paleo to get rid of intolerances and things like that. We use macros to dial things in, but you can't just use one method or track macros and fit whatever you want in there and expect to be healthy or perform well, like, cause you're eating pop tarts every day. But we use all these things as tools. And I think like you said, like having, I heard somebody else say it very similarly, but just having a tool belt, understanding the different tools and using them as your own builder or creator or whatever you want to call yourself as a coach is like the smartest thing that you can possibly do. And I think that's what the thing that fascinates me so much and respects what you do inside CrossFit is that you have to have a lot of fucking tools to be able to program the way you program for the athletes you program for. Yeah, I think that's one. Of, so if I were going to give advice to someone who wanted to get into coaching high level CrossFitters, I think the first thing that they would need to do is themselves develop a personal practice of exploring training tools because in in the world of crossfit you need to be able to train people in everything from strongman components to uh to gymnastics elements and like you probably should have some personal experience with those things if you want to work with someone in, in the crossfit space and then be willing to be adaptive like just recognize that the way that people have used the tools in the past is not necessarily what's going to be optimal for a brand new sport that requires people to do things in a completely new way. And so just be adaptive, have a giant, always expand your toolbox, never be dismissive of anything that's new or anything that's old. Like just accept that there are lots of methods and, and figure out how, how and where to use them ideally. And then I think a good coach is someone who has those tools, knows who to use them with and when to, to use them in order to get the desired result. And I think that is the thing that separates uh, coaches in a sport like this. Yeah, totally. Man. I think I could sit here and talk to you about coaching and the art of coaching for hours on end. And this podcast has kind of shifted a little bit from what I originally had planned on, but I'm glad we went this direction because I think it's so important to just talk about coaching in general. Um, but I do have a couple questions left for you. Uh, first one being a little bit more selfish, but also just because I get this question all the time. And, and I'm really curious on your thoughts since you were in the trenches with these CrossFit athletes. But the question is, why are CrossFit athletes so jacked? And more specifically, People ask me, like, why should I train like a bodybuilder if these elite level CrossFitters are so jacked? And, and my thought process on this is pretty simple. Number one, I believe it's because their energy expenditure is just through the roof from so much activity that they're naturally going to be shredding fat off their body. Number two, their caloric intake is through the roof just to support the performance and recovery needs that they have for their sport. But also, if we look at um, intaking fuel at that level, it's a very anabolic thing. So even if they're burning a ton of calories and burning fat, they're also taking in so many calories that are going to support muscle. Um, and third and finally, something that I don't think a lot of people think about, but this is what comes to my mind, is 
that I think these guys' volume is through the roof. You know, like inside bodybuilding programming, we count sets and reps and, and weight lifted as total volume. Um, that metric in that form or that way isn't very talked about inside CrossFit. But if you look at the elite level athletes, I'm sure their volume is literally just sky high because you're doing so many full body workouts throughout the week, doing so many big compound lifts that are hitting so many different muscle groups throughout the week multiple times that I think the volume just goes through the roof. Yeah. So I think if, if you look at what the, uh, the primary predictor of hypertrophy is, right, it's like total sets to failure. So like volume is probably one of the primary predictors of, of hypertrophy. So if you want to get someone jacked, you got to do a lot of training, like a lot of sets near failure. And CrossFit is like, the it is a good recipe for doing lots of sets near failure of a lot of different movements in a lot of different planes. Like that's what, I mean, that's almost like one of the side effects of CrossFit. And I think one of the reasons that the, the high level CrossFitters tend to hypertrophy so much is like, first off, they're not afraid of carbs, right? These guys are eating five to 600 grams of carbohydrates per day. You want to get someone to grow. What's one of the first things that you do as a nutrition coach, crank their carbs, start, up, crank their calories, up. start, yeah, crank their calories up. And then a lot of these guys, are they're still following nutrition protocols that were like bodybuilding-based uh, nutrition protocols. So it's like body weight protein, right? So they, they're always at, like the minimum is they're almost always at body weight protein. And that might be necessary for them to maintain, you know, muscle tissue mass and, and everything in the face of, the, of their training volume. But that is also one of the things I think can be manipulated to keep some CrossFitters. I think Noah's one of these guys. That if you give him too much protein, the guy grows and he just gets to the point where it's like his running starts to suffer, his burpees start to suffer and things like that. So, you know, being mindful of protein intake, but also if you're one of the people who's trying to get jacked from CrossFit, well, it turns out jack your protein intake up, train with relatively high volume compound movements. And that's something that's probably going to lead to uh, a lot of hypertrophy. And then the other thing that happens is, and, and I think this is something that's a little bit less like well looked at, but the fact that, you know, these, we, we have athletes with a ton of cardiac strength. They're, they have really high cardiac outputs because of the energy system demands and, and all the cyclical training. And, you know, just the fact that they're maintaining 180 beats per minute for, you know, a really long duration uh, on any given day. So they, they build these like horse hearts. Right. And so when they do something like max rep handstand pushups or max rep strict pull-ups, the, the pump that these athletes get is just absolutely unreal. I mean, a lot of times people will see someone like Noah or someone like Matt Frazier or Rich, and they see the pictures of them at the end of an event. And the, the, uh, if you think about muscle tissue, it's kind of like a sponge and you have this really powerful pump that's just pushing a ton of blood into that sponge. These guys are so pumped up at the end of the events that it's like they, they almost like double in size. And so a lot of times people are looking at pictures of CrossFitters when they're like right when they finish the event. And these guys are like just completely full of blood at that point. And so I, if you think about one of, the, one of the stimuli for developing hypertrophy is like cell swelling, right? Mm -hmm. And so these guys constantly are experiencing cell swelling because they have a horse heart that's pushing a shitload of blood into their muscle tissue and swelling those things, just like, uh, body, like, like a bodybuilding protocol, but it's just part of what they deal with on a daily basis. That is a, 
an extremely good point. I've actually never thought about that. And I've actually never heard anybody talk about that. But it's such a good point because, like you said, cell swelling is one of the biggest key components. Um, Just metabolite training, the accumulation of metabolites inside of bodybuilding, you know, getting the pump. That's one of the big key components of building muscle. Um, And people don't really talk about that with CrossFit, but it's so true. They constantly go through that. And there's actually even studies now coming out that shows lactate and, and like, lactic acid, that production of lactate in our body is a uh, – a result of, I guess you could say, or a cause of hypertrophy. There's actually some studies showing that lactate production can equal hypertrophy in general, um, and we know that they go through that as well. The one thing I will say is I'm, I'm definitely not someone who's going to tell you that the best way to, to hypertrophy or the best way to get jacked is to do CrossFit. That's yeah. just not true. Right. But CrossFit is an avenue that you could use to get jacked if you were so inclined. I, I think that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah, and, and like I said earlier, like just the fact that they're taking in so many calories to support this work, as we know, calories coming in is just going to be an anabolic thing. So even though we're burning a ton of calories, just the act that we have all these nutrients readily available to build muscle with, that's going to pr- promote more muscle growth. Uh, but I agree, man. I think at the end of the day, like if you're not somebody who can dedicate as much time as these athletes do, these elite at level athletes inside CrossFit do, you're better off using a basic, not even just a basic, but just a hypertrophy bodybuilding quote unquote style program to build muscle because within the time frame that you have, that's going to be more advantageous. Absolutely. There's no question about that. If you have an hour to train per day, man, so that would be a good question for people that for coaches that come on is like, you, you want to get someone as jacked as possible. You have an hour you know, five days a week, what do you do? My answer is going to revolve around uh, including some BFR works, blood flow restriction, because I think there's a lot of, it's something that I've been playing with for the last five or six months. And the research on, on BFR just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger for hypertrophy. Um, but like including that, uh, like adding some things like sled pushes, like so fatiguing the legs and then going into like tempo cyclist squats, like that type of stuff. And then running a split where muscle groups are getting touched as frequently as possible. So rather than going, you know, uh, I don't know what the bodybuilding terms for the splits would be, but like, you know, legs on Monday, upper body on Tuesday, back and buys on Wednesday, like literally trying to touch as many different components every day as possible. Because again, it's total volume of sets near failure that is the primary driver of hypertrophy. So touching almost all muscle groups or all the major muscle groups as frequently as possible, just with different methods so that the tissue, you know, including isometrics, eccentrics, BFR work, light load to failure, high rep, uh, you know, high load to failure that like including all of that stuff in in the program and just using that to create space between uh, types of, of stimuli. I think that might be how I would approach it. I haven't yet needed to do that but i think that would be an interesting uh program to explore at some point yeah absolutely man and i think that a lot of people program hypertrophy in a full body setting and where they go wrong is that they only do three days a week and the problem with that is simple three days a week will not build enough muscle because there's not enough volume and volume is the the largest precursor for hypertrophy so if we're going to use a full body program you just need to train four or five ideally six days a week if you're in a caloric surplus, if you're really pushing it and, and you want to see serious gains on a full body program, I think that you just need to have more days in the gym because more days equals the ability to have more volume and more volume equals more growth, obviously. Um, I remember doing a program way back and I actually just programmed out one inside the Boom Boom Elite, our membership site, um, and I called it Body Armor because 
I went through it and it was basically, it was really boring because it was the same thing every single day, but it was like compound lifts. I hit everything in the body. I did it at a very high load. So it was actually high intensity, low volume. Um, and then the volume kind of shifted throughout the week, but it was just boring the same shit every day, but the frequency was through the roof. I touched every muscle group every single day. I pushed it really hard. I could only last on this program for so long because it was so intense, but it was the best gains I've ever seen. And it was just, again, full body, six days a week, just nonstop. Um, so I agree hundred percent, but man, I think I could talk to you all day about this kind of stuff with programming, coaching and all this. Um, we're going to have to do this again without a doubt, but before I let you go, I always finish the podcast with a personality question. So here's the situation. You are sitting down at a table. There's three empty seats in front of you for dinner. You can pick anybody to sit at this table and eat dinner with you. They can be alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. Who's sitting at this table with you? Very interesting. All right. So I, I would say one of the first ones is going to have to be uh, Darwin. Like I just so, – someone who was able to come up with something that was so revolutionary – and almost, I say pull it out of thin air. Obviously, it took him like 30 years to write Origin of Species. But getting him in there, I think, would be an absolute uh, necessity. Then I've become a huge fan of um, stoic, just stoic philosophy. So yeah. getting Marcus Aurelius in there, hopefully I could understand what he said because he speaks a different language. Um, but maybe, maybe the third would be an interpreter so I could understand <laughs> what he was saying. <laughs> no. Um, that's, that's a total cop-out, isn't it? And then uh, who would the third be? You know, I, actually the third would be, would be my, my dad. So my dad actually, crazy enough, passed away when my mom was pregnant with me. And I've never, I'd never met him, never had a conversation with him. I just want to know what he's like. That would have been, you know, definitely the third person for sure. Man, great answers. I'm a huge fan of number one and number two. So obviously I, I would – very, I would very like to sit with those people too. But uh, man, as just as a human being, I think being able to sit down with your dad would be probably one of the most remarkable and coolest experiences you could possibly have just as a man in general, man. Like that's a great answer. And where can everybody find you? Because you put out a ton of great content. You're a super knowledgeable guy and I want to let everybody in on what you put out. So give everybody the shout outs. Where can they find all your content? Where can they find access to you? Uh, well, first off, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. It's uh, Kyle Ruth underscore TTT. Um, I have been much more active recently, they, you know, from the push of, of Chastity, who you know, and and uh, some others, they keep encouraging me, encouraging me to post on there and, and share. So that's one place. Then just through the Training Think Tank website and the Training Think Tank social media, um, we've got a lot of stuff up on our YouTube channel where you can find there's videos with me, Max, all the guys at Training Think Tank, all the guys and girls at Training Think Tank. Um, and, and we've got a pretty extensive media library up there. Um, we've got a lot of stuff in the works as well. We're, we've got some courses that we're launching. Uh, we have our movement course out. We're going to be launching our energy system training course shortly, a strength training systems course shortly, which will, I think, really dig into a lot of the stuff that we talked about uh, today regarding like periodization and how to, how to train people for disparate goals. You know, you have someone who needs to max a, max a thruster and be able to do 100 thrusters for time. You need to be able to do all those things. So We've got courses coming out for those, um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much our uh, that's pretty much training think tank in a nutshell. <laughs>